And we are live with another episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law S at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey everybody, welcome back once again. Um, Ken just said another episode. He forgot that it was 77, I guess. I don't know. You know just, <laughs> I probably did. He probably did. He's <laughs> trying to change things up. Uh, we're super excited to be back today. We've got Clint here to talk uh, all things DevSecOps and TLDRSec and you know security in general. Um, and we'll get into that shortly. Um, outside of that, uh, it's uh, I guess it's holiday time. So happy holidays, whichever holiday you guys seem to, or you guys celebrate. Uh, at the very least, you know, having a couple weeks off is always a good thing from a burnout perspective, right? We can talk about that too, because as a consultant, I'm kind of filling it right now between all the different projects and people that are coming in. I'm sure Clinton is Clint is as well. Uh, just busy like, time. Yeah, fourth quarter always gets gets crazy. So. Um, yeah, take some time off and enjoy that. Uh, as far as other th stuff that's going on, I will be at CactusCon uh, at the end of this week. So Friday, Saturday, if people are around, feel free to hit me up. Uh, I will have a couple episode AppSec shirts, at least some stickers, some other swag if people are interested. Um, Hacker Tracker uh, is, uh, does have the schedule for CactusCon in it. If you know of other conferences that you want in Hacker Tracker, please let me know. Uh, just ping me on Twitter, or DM me, my DMs are open and we'd love to add additional conferences. We got a whole bunch in there, but any of the B-Sides conferences or anything, if you feel like the conference wants it, let us know. Um, outside of that, we will be at DevSecOps Days in a couple of weeks in Austin. Uh, Ken and I are doing a live version of the podcast and we'll see how that goes because it's live and not our home turf, so yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to put it all we on t-shirts. Yeah, we brought t-shirts or we will bring t-shirts. We bought t-shirts. Will we have t-shirts for that conference? I, I don't know. I'm waiting to see when they oh. actually show up. So hopefully, hopefully at the very least we'll, we'll, uh, you know, I'll have like two or three, but hopefully we'll have <laughs> a plethora. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I, I think that's about it for the end of the year. Um, oh, I did. Uh, I am doing a secure code review workshop, or I, I don't know, like I'm just calling it like hands-on secure code review for B-Side San Francisco. It's not our full course. This is basically bring an open source project and we're all gonna look at code together, right? In the small group. So, I mean, Clint was in the course a couple years ago and like that last half of the day where we're actually analyzing applications. That's what we're gonna try and do just as kind of a condensed if you've never never done it before, come to it and you know try and review some code with us, and we can give you pointers and stuff like that. But it's more workshop, just the hands-on portion. We don't necessarily walk through everything like we do in the full course. But yeah, that's February timeframe. Anyway, so I, I think that's everything from our side. I know we've been getting questions about when we're going to do the full course next. I, I don't have an answer for that yet, Ken, unless you do. No, yeah, a couple of people had asked uh, like about where we're doing it, and we haven't really submitted anywhere yet. I don't think, um, just because we were both kind of like fried and taking a break. <clears throat> we'll probably start submitting stuff. But um, the other thing that was asked, which I think is a good thing to do, is to add to our website a section on where the course will be be available next, and um, you know maybe just like keeping people up to date on on cool things happening like conferences or whatever. So, anyways. <clears throat> That that has been that has been taken under consideration, and we're 
we think it's a good idea and I think we're going to do it uh, in 2020. So, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully over the, over the break, we'll be able to restructure the website a little bit. And at the very least we could show, Hey, upcoming episodes as well and guests. So we've got a kind of a schedule there that people can plan on rather than just watching the Twitter feed. So cool. All right. Well, you know, we've been officially talking for four or five minutes, uh, <laughs> but now we want to introduce Clint. Um, we met Clint, I, I think for the first time, Clint, uh, at, at that course at AppSec USA a couple of years ago in San Francisco, right? Yeah, I think it was through that. Um, yeah, I do a fair amount of uh, code review as a security consultant, and I uh, was wanting to see, like, oh, other people who are, you know, experienced in this space, what's their methodology? How do they think about it? Um, so, yeah, I uh, took your guys' course, uh, thought it was fun, and uh, had some good tips. And, um, yeah, I think uh, over lunch or some things like that, we started hanging out. Yeah. And then... Uh, <laughs> saw you at a bunch of other conferences so <laughs> yeah yep yep it's funny how that works right um so and i like i don't have the notes up ken do you want to kind of walk through oh yeah yeah and well i was gonna say clint too your feedback because you asked great questions but also you like gave us feedback that was really helpful in incorporating and, and improving upon the course after that because that was our first time doing it and so a lot of the things that you had mentioned we actually ended up building into the course so that was really awesome but yeah if you don't know don't, if you, yeah it was awesome like you your feedback was really useful um if you don't know clint uh he so he's the um he's a research director and technical director from ncc which we'll get into your backstory and we'll you know we'll definitely like here in a second hear hear how you got to get into consulting and security and the last four years at ncc uh, and a little bit about what you do. But if you don't, again, if you don't know Clint, Clint has, well, first of all, I just signed up for his newsletter, TLDR sec. Um, I signed up for it, but I think this weekend and it's pretty cool. Like you definitely should subscribe. We're going to put a link up here shortly to it. Um, Clint's also spoken a lot, uh, and has, I think, wh where was the last place you spoke Clint? I think was it Tel Aviv? Uh, yeah, well, I um, yeah, I gave a closing keynote at DevSecCon Tel Aviv, and then the week after, uh, moderated a panel at, at uh, DevSecCon London. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That was yeah. Like two and how ago. like London this time of year? How's that? <laughs> uh, it's a little bit rainy. Um, not as not as cold as you would expect. Uh, I actually came back to the Bay Area, which is where I live, and uh, it was a similar temperature. Oh, okay. So it was. Not too bad. Then. I, I guess that's true. You live at, you live in the Bay Area. There's always you know it's it's always a little cloudy, rainy there this time of year, right? I put um, the link yeah. up to his uh, TLDR sec, by the way. Sweet, good, good. Yeah, that'll be that'll be good. Um, I mean, London's London's always interesting. I mean, it seems Clint that you've been more in the like like you're a security consultant, but you've been playing a lot in kind of the DevOps, DevSecOps area. Um, rather than strict application security, at least recently, like the talks and other things that you've been giving. And I know you moderated a panel at AppSec, uh, or AppSec Cali last year and a couple other places on kind of DevOps and DevSecOps, building security into that mm -hmm. um, with, I can't remember who else was on it, Asta and a couple of others. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of interesting to see how, um, how the industry, like, like it continues to kind of continue 
continues to silo almost, right? As far as there's all these different aspects to security and we can concentrate on, hey, application security, but then also like how that builds, like the build pipeline is really this DevSecOps pipeline affects security. But yeah, I, I, like it's just been interesting to kind of watch how the different the different aspects of that play in in different places, right? Um, so um, maybe we'll, let's just dive straight into kind of your background, how you got into security, how you got into DevSecOps and application security in general, um, where you kind of grew up and how it all started for you. Sure. Uh, so I got into security actually by accident. Um, I um, uh, went to college to major in computer science uh, because I really liked video games and I thought I wanted to build video games uh, professionally. So that was like my impetus uh, of being a computer scientist. Um, but I sort of two things happened at the same time. One is uh, I took this intro to video game programming course, which I thought was going to be, you know, the most amazing class ever. Uh, but then it ended up making me realize that actually real game programming is like a lot of math and a lot of like, like uh, vector multiplication and I think different roles within the industry, like you don't have to focus on that stuff. But I, I sort of realized it was like, ah, oh, this is a lot of stuff I don't really want to do. Um, and then also at the same time, I was realizing that a lot of people in the game industry, uh, you know, basically work 80, 90 hour weeks mandatory, like every week. Yep. Um, and, and there's, um, I think, at least my impression, I'm not in that industry, but I, from what I can perceive, it seems like not the healthiest of industries. Um, in terms of like longevity, work-life balance, and things like that. Um, so that was, that's, that was sort of one thing. Yeah, oh, and before before you move on, that, that's that's an interesting point because I always get this, especially with like the high school, like early college crowd when they come to me and they're like, "Hey, we know you're in tech. Like, I, I want to go. Like, I want to go into programming. I want, I want to become a game developer." And I'm like, "No." Like my my advice is continually, "No, you really don't," because I see the people that are in there. Or I see like the the QA testers down, like I remember going to, you know, a Sony, you know, installation at one point where they were doing the PS, the PlayStation.com stuff and watching those QA testers. It just looked like their life was miserable, right? I mean, and and that's kind of my impression. I know there's there's companies out there that don't that aren't aren't necessarily that bad, but that's too, that's always my advice. Is I'm like, eh, let's look at something else because most likely you're not going to enjoy it as much as you think. So it's a, it, it's it's validating to hear that that's, that was your experience as well. So. Sorry, yeah, that's a that's what I've seen. Um, yeah, I feel like it is a little bit like the screen industry, like um, like acting and directing and, and stuff for film, because there are so many people who want to do it that there's a lot of pressure on sort of a small mm -hmm. number of roles, and also the people who are sort of already entrenched and in power can thus um, sort of take advantage of or at least expect a lot from newcomers because uh, you know so many people want to and there's so few roles. Um, Right, like if you want to be like an actor, actress, or director or something, like there's like a handful of major studios uh, who have sort of most of the power. Similarly, there's a handful of major game publishers. Um, there's like a couple of indie players, but um, you know, there's maybe five or so major game companies, maybe ten. Um, yeah. So, anyway, so basically, it was like, oh, this is something I don't like to do as much as I thought. Plus, am I really going to enjoy this life? Well, at the same time. Um, my college, um, Case Western, uh, only had one uh, computer security class, and it was uh, a graduate class. Um, but I just decided to sit in on it 
Um, I was like a freshman or sophomore undergrad just because I was like, what is this security thing? It sounds cool. Um, and I basically just immediately fell in love with it. And um, every like internship and everything after that, uh, I was just trying to learn more about it. So um, yeah, it was basically totally accident. I just sat in on this class and I was like, man, this is awesome. And uh, that's basically what I've been trying to learn more about uh, ever since. Cool. Uh, that, well, that's pretty, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, the paths that people have into security are always fairly interesting, right? Because it's not, I, I mean, there, there there's those that did it as, you know, teenagers or whatever, and have been doing it for 30 some odd years, but you know, most of us seem to tap into it somewhere along the line and then decide, hey, no, no, I really like this and and move move that direction. So did you do some internships and stuff then related to security, you know, during your college years, or was it you know after yeah. that you finally got into it? Yeah, so I did um, some I did two internships at um, a subsidiary of Northrop Grumman, which is like a big defense okay. contractor. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm from uh, Cincinnati and they, um, this place called like Northrop Grumman uh, Z-Tron, uh, which is like the most like techy <laughs> place ever. Uh, but they, they had a place um, uh, in Cincinnati. So I was like, oh, I can still spend some time with my family while also learning about security. And then I think, my junior year summer, um, I interned at Sigital, which is um, okay. yeah. a security consulting firm that got swallowed by uh, Synopsys a few years ago. Okay, cool. So did you spend some years, so how long did you spend at Synopsys or at Sigital before, you know, after you got done with school? Or was that with just the internship per uh, period? That was just an internship. Okay, all right. Cool, and then, uh, you know, so get, getting done with college, uh, having that experience, did that help in actually finding a, a full-time security gig or, you know, did you do some programming along the lines? Where did that, what happened there? Yeah. So school was pretty much all um, just like strictly programming and computer science. And then uh, it was more like trying to learn security on my own slash through internships. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I, when I graduated, I wasn't sure if I was ready to be a, uh, a full real person doing real things. Uh, so I decided to go to grad school because uh, that's what you do when you want to hide away in the warm bosom of academia for a, a few more years. Um, so I wasn't like Cleveland. I thought it would be nice to be a bit warmer. So then uh, I applied to schools on the West Coast and then uh, ended up going to um, University of California, Davis for uh, grad school. Okay. Also in, in program or computer science? Yeah, in computer science, but like a focus in security. Basically, I looked at where are um, uh, programs that have good computer security professors, and then applied to a couple of those. Okay, cool. So, was there was there a specific uh, like computer security was the emphasis? Was there a specific topic then that you uh, focused on during that time? I like I I always have this. I mean, I did computer science in school, but I, I finished after, you know, four years when, when when it came down to it, I started actually working and, you know, as a developer and a system administrator and like moved away from it. Um, but I'm always interested to see because I, I like, I feel as a, as a security industry, we're pretty lax, like our conferences, that most of the talks and other things aren't necessarily, they don't have an academic rigor to them, right? You know, so, so I'm always interested to see here what's coming out of the universities, what people have worked on, especially in those graduate degrees. Um, you know, not necessarily that the security industry needs to follow academic rigor, because I do feel like there's some, uh, uh, th there's some, 
you know, cons to that as, you know, in, in the industry as a, in, in, as a whole, right? But there's also some disciplines that we could gain if we followed that. So actually, so what, what did you study there or what was your main focus in the security space? Um, yeah, that, that's a, you bring up a really good point, um, which would be interesting um, to chat about. But uh, yeah, I um, so I didn't know what area of security specifically I wanted to focus in when I showed up. I sort of had to figure that out. Yeah, um, I, I ended up doing a couple of projects um, in mostly mobile security, like Android specifically. Okay. Um, so some colleagues and I built some tools to um, analyze Android APKs for various properties, like are they um, you know, accessing your sensitive information and sending it off the phone using static analysis, um, comparing like many applications, do they have uh, a lot of code reuse? Like, are they plagiarized? And then trying to measure sort of the impact of the plagiarism in practice in terms of like lost revenue um, cool. and things like that. And also understanding like, why are people plagiarizing? Is it, um, are they just trying to localize? Is it um, they're adding malware. Is it for like doing ad fraud type stuff and just like various interesting like I think we ended up writing crawlers for um, you know Google Play and like thirteen um, third party markets um, like English as well as like Russian Chinese and like others and uh, uh, you find some interesting things crawling a third party app stores. Oh, I'm sure, right? Like, you, yeah, that's uh, that sounds did, fascinating. Did they like with with uh, I'm I'm assuming you know that it's noticeable a noticeable amount of requests did, did you were you ever uh, throttled did they ever you know reach out and be like hey what, what are you doing or anything like that uh, yeah for sure um so as with anything yeah there's definitely a cat and mouse game uh yeah if you download too aggressively from google play we would get our accounts banned and we have to create new accounts that happened uh, a number of times um yeah, other, I think there was one third-party market. I forget which one, but we crawled a little bit too aggressively, and I think they, like, banned our IP range of our lab. <laughs> we were just like, yeah, hey. I've heard of that happening. That's why I was asking, like, if you, if you ran into issues, and it sounds like you did, because, yeah, I've heard I've heard that more than once where people, like, have issues with that. So. Yeah, a couple times. Um, yeah, after that happened once or twice, we tried to, like, add some rate limiting to the crawler so it would only do, like, you know, one a minute or something like that. Interesting. Smart. Cool. Like a little sleep, little sleep function thrown in there. <laughs> yeah, it was very advanced. It was like sleep sixty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Super hey, late. You know, that's, that that that's most security development right there, right? You know, it's a bash shell script. That's most development in general, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, Seth, to to go to something you mentioned regarding um, like academia versus industry. Yeah. Um, I think there are some interesting differences. Um, like I spent some time in both um, and uh, like reasonably involved in like sort of the um, conference scene in both. And um, yeah, I think there's definitely strengths as well as cons of both. Um, like, as you said, I think academia is nice in that there's um, a huge amount of emphasis placed on doing like a related work survey in terms of, you know, what's useful for, um, or how does my work fit into the broader scheme of things in terms of what have other people done over the past, like one, two, five, even 10 years in this space. So yeah. when you read a paper, you can see, oh, this is the unique contribution of this work. Also, I understand sort of how it fits into the broader scheme of things where um, I think maybe it's partially a culture difference or partially maybe just people are busy. I don't know, but that's, um, I think, much less a focus in industry. Um, 
and then so like on the other side, I think industry is great at um, choosing problems and producing things that are like immediately actionable and useful. Whereas in academia, I think a lot of the value is placed on novelty, like being original rather than necessarily solving a, an objective problem someone has today. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think I think both have things that are better than the other. And I think that uh, it would be valuable for them to learn from each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's always what I've said. Like, well, that, that's always what I've seen, right? Like, you know, having gone to more industry conferences on, you know, during my career is uh, like some of the attribution and knowing where things fit. It's very hard from a, you know, to read a black hat or a, and, you know, a DEF CON description of a talk and know exactly where it fits within. All right, what's the unique play here? Unless you have done already done a deep dive into that topic. Um, so it's very easy on the AppSec side to be like, oh, okay, that's kind of some new original research as opposed to, you know, exploit development or something like that. I look at some of those talks and I'm like, all right, this might be interesting to me, but how much of this is new versus, you know, a replay and, you know, really what's going on there. Um, and then it, besides the fact, like, I don't want to get into the whole, like, you know, red team exploit, you know, worship that we do in the security industry, right? You know, I, we were getting away from it, but a lot of the conferences, that seems to be the play that we, we run into there. For sure. Um, and then as well as, like, when I talk about academic rigor, things like, so things like attribution, things like, you know, quoting sources or, you know, where we got material. So someone that, that is looking at a conference talk or even a conference slides could go back and actually recreate the research. That is always something that I find lacking is, hey, you know, it's great that you put all this material together, but at the very least, there's some basics that go into it, right? None of us, none of us operate in a vacuum where we've created this all by ourselves. So, I mean, that's, and that's where I find use, like in the TLDR sec, in the other newsletters, in the other, uh, like even, you know, the OWASP website does a better job of actually calling out places that aren't necessarily OWASP as far as, hey, this is, this is where the original research came from or something else along those lines. So blogs, medium posts, others, others are easier than the conference talks in general, so. Yeah, actually, um, TLDR sec uh, sort of happened uh, organically out of, um, I've been giving a, a number of talks um, in DevSecOps where I was basically trying to collect and condense um, sort of the interesting, useful insights from like tens of other talks and sort of put them in one place so that yeah. um, people, one, like know they exist and, and then also can sort of like, you know, take the tips and apply them ideally in their company. Um, so I was having a bunch of talks that were referencing like 20 to like 30 or 40 other talks. Um, and then I was like, oh, I should like write these down somewhere else um, just to make it easier to absorb because, you know, I'm spending a lot of time uh, watching them and learning from them. So I should uh, make that easier for other people too. So yeah, it just sort of happened accidentally. No, that's, I, I mean, that, that, that's where the best things happen, right? Like that, the, that kind of organic growth, the organic, you know, hey, this was useful to me. And then, you know, sharing it out with the community that that, that always seems to, to go better than something that's just strictly, you know, marketing speak or marketing related. So, so how is the, you know, I, I know we're getting away from your origin story, but it's fine. Uh, you know, as far as, <laughs> as far as TLDR sec goes, um, how has the response to it been? I mean, obviously it's something that like we're talking about it and Ken and I have found useful, but the industry at large, you know, what kind of response have you gotten to that? Yeah. So um, I feel very fortunate because the response has actually been really good. Um, uh, <laughs> with, with 
Katana. Did we lose him? Who I've like never met before. Um, yeah. Randomly uh, email me or like send me a tweet or something like, hey, I really got a lot of value out of this. Or like this saved me like a bunch of time and I forwarded it to our team or like I shared it in our AppSec Slack channel, um, which uh, I don't know. I, I think you guys probably feel the same way in terms of, you know, you're doing absolute AppSec because you love it and it's fun. Uh, and then, you know, people reach out to you and say like, hey, this really helped me. And you're like, you know, your heart grows three sizes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite the Grinch we once were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if Seth, if we ever talked, I don't know if we've talked about this, but the whole, whole reason we are doing this, this podcast and we do the training. Well, I mean, we both had like super stressful, super stressful uh, positions before making a jump. And then um, like, we kind of both agreed, we just do stuff that was fun. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing, like, which is, I enjoy it. It's useful to other people as long as somebody else finds use and it's, remains fun we keep doing it and i think that's kind of sounds like what you're doing and and it's it's also like whenever you build a product that like a, a product whether it's a newsletter or a podcast or whatever <clears throat> if it's filling something like a specific need that you had um and like you th you would use that thing then it's always like gonna it's always gonna be a good idea to do it i mean regardless of how popular it gets it's it's, it's a good idea to do it i think yeah and then, and then like Chris Gates, when he talked about blogging, he, he, he made a good point, which was he did that because he was writing down all these notes and like, he just wanted somewhere easy to go back and reference, like, how do I do post requests with SQL, SQL map? Or how do I do this configuration thing with burp or Metasploit? And the, you know, the rest is history. It was a super popular blog. So I don't know what that rant was about, yeah. but yeah, yeah <laughs> you're totally. doing the good stuff. Uh, yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, that's definitely um, uh, something I've noticed as well, where I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll go back and reference my own notes. I'm like, there was this one tool that did something like this, which, where was this? And then, yeah, I just like look back to what I wrote and I'm like, oh yeah. Thank you. Pass me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yep. As oftentimes as I, I curse the past me because of, you know, scheduling. Yeah. Yeah. 7 a.m. flight. That sounds fine. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do. That is the one time that that always comes back to bite you. You're like, yeah, and I'll get to wherever I want to go early and get some time to, and then you just like, you're, you're up at four o'clock in the morning. Like what in the hell did I do? What, what horrible chain of decisions led to this moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yes. Yes. Well, that, I mean, it's it, it's good to hear that it's it, you know that it's taking off and it's 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 growing because it is it is a useful. I mean, it's a useful tool. It's it's useful to 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 see what other people are doing and what what's going on there. Like your your view into the industry, your take on what's going on is obviously different than ours, just because the people that we follow, the people that we know, are different. Um, and so, yeah. It, I mean, from my perspective, it's been you know it's it's been very very useful, very informative. So good job on that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And, and feel free to send the feedback, positive or negative. Um, one, one thing that's also been cool is uh, I'll share like one or two links on a specific topic, like, I don't know, reverse engineering or something. And then someone will send me a tweet or an email like, oh, hey, there's this other thing that's similar to that thing. Have you heard of this? And I'm like, oh, no, I, I had no idea. So it's um, sort of like a mutual conversation of discovery where I'm sharing some things and then people are like, oh, here's this other cool thing. And then um, yeah, just uh, we all share together, so it's pretty cool. Cool, good. Um, 
Good, sweet. So any uh, hot topics that you have coming out of TLDR sec? <laughs> yes, you, give you, us a preview of any of Come on, give us a preview. What's good, what, what's on your <laughs> mind right now? What are you what are you working on? Yeah, um, so I guess, uh, yeah, I'm sending out another one tomorrow uh, <laughs> if I get it done. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of like cloud security stuff and a bunch of like free books on some different things that's uh, pretty cool. Um, I think one trend that I keep writing about that I never intended to is um, asset inventory, um, mm -hmm. which is sort of like a blanket term that I think means different things to different people. But to me, it's basically like as a company understanding um, what you control and sort of where it is. Um, so some people may say, oh, this is only our external attack service. Um, other people may say, oh, I also include, say, like the phones and laptops uh, of our employees, as well as maybe like our code repos and then how code moves from, uh, you know, GitHub to um, Jenkins to testing to production and sort of like everything all the way through. So to me, different people think it means different things. Um, but uh, there's been a lot of companies who are trying to make, basically give people deep like x-ray vision into everything they control in real time. Um, yeah, th there was like one or two companies doing it. Uh, and then in the past like one to two years, there's like 30 companies doing it. Um, yeah. and, and every newsletter I'm like, okay, this is the last time I'm gonna write about asset inventory. And then I see like two or three more links and I'm like, ah, I should probably mention these two. When you say it means different things to different people, were you talking about like when you just mentioned, you know, there's an external surface or like, are you saying like what they care about, like external only or external facing only? Or, you, or do you mean like the term inventory asset might be like a different thing for different people? Um, yeah, I, I think sort of like maybe DevSecOps. I think it's like a, like a hyped up term that I think different people use uh, and in their minds, they think different things. Um, uh, like one, um, so I guess um, to give you some concrete examples, I feel like there's a couple of like buckets uh, of asset inventory or asset discovery type companies. Um, so one is like, what is your external attack surface? So they're using, you know, like certificate transparency, uh, OSINT, um, subdomain brute forcing and stuff like that to get an idea of like what you control externally. Um, and this is all done like black box. So that's like one bucket. Yeah. Uh, another bucket is you give it like an AWS read-only key and you give it um, an API key to, you know, your GitHub or GitLab on-prem and you give it access to your internal systems. And then basically it hits a bunch of different APIs and builds like um, like a graph of all the things you own and shows you sort of the re relationships between things. Um, uh, Sasha from Lyft um, gave a talk about Lyft cartography, a tool they open source that basically does that. Um, and there's maybe like one or two other groups, but um, I think each of those buckets say that they're like asset inventory or asset discovery, but sort of how they do it and what they focus on is very different. Yeah. I I, I mean, like, so for bug bounties, I, I, know, I know NCC has done a bit of work with like triaging bug bounties. So you, you might already know this and Seth, I'm not sure if you know this, but subdomain, like subdomain takeovers or dangling subdomains is like, a super popular thing for um, for bug bounty researchers, and not only just finding a list of like, okay, these are domains, subdomains I can claim, but then like, you know, um, your site references maybe some JavaScript on this subdomain site that's no longer, or CSS or something that's no longer working. You know, they take over the site and claim the domain, and now you know, 
You've got these assets being pulled in. Um, another, I don't know, like there's, there's many ways you could exploit that. And I feel like that's a big bounty researcher <clears throat> area is finding those dang, dangling subdomains. Yeah, I think I saw a post or two about it for maybe like Detectify or um, maybe Quartzwigger or something a couple of years ago. And then, yeah, it seems seems like that's everywhere. Uh, once one or two people posted about that. Uh, yeah, that definitely is an issue that seems to affect a lot of people for sure. Yeah, that's kind of become like an interesting thing to, to, to see what bounty researchers are focused on, like what's getting them paid. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I always feel like the like in, in the bounty space, right? Like, you know, there's there's kind of a feedback loop that happens there, right? As soon as one person gets paid on it, then like they blog, they blog about it, they tell their friends, the rest of them start looking for it. So obviously, they discover more of those issues. And then it like escalates from there. And then all of a sudden, like, I mean, you talk about Detectify and Asset Known, a couple others that like, that's what they've they they develop these scripts that they, you know, were able to do subdomain takeover or identify subdomains, and then all of a sudden they're showing as a product to the companies. On the other hand, right, um, so it, it's this feedback loop that happens um, in general, right? Like we talk about SSRF, we talk about subdomain takeovers. Right? It seems to happen again and again, and it's not necessarily that that's a bad thing, but it definitely is, um, right? Like I don't I don't like I always wonder kind of what's next, right? You know, you, you watch what's coming out of Portswigger and James Kettle and you're always yeah. like, okay, all right, well, uh, it looks like we got to brush up on X, Y, and Z because, you know, he released <laughs> a, a talk on this and found a couple of things. And then, so that's what this, the, the bug bounty guys are going to jump on next, right? But like, it, it's not always the, the most original research, but it does, I mean, it, it obviously has an effect. So. Yeah, I think the, uh, a lot of bug bounty, um, trends over the past maybe two to three years have been uh step one james kettle gives a black hat talk on a new attack technique and releases the burp plugin step yeah. two every bug bounty researcher reports this on every different bug bounty platform uh step three like he does another one or something <laughs> step three yeah, they once... profit and he like they sell more burp licenses right but, yeah yeah and like the second one bounty researcher gets paid for that like everybody just copies and pastes their write-up once it's disclosed and just submits the same thing to different companies. It's the craziest thing. Mm -hmm. It's like a hive, like a swarm. <laughs> yeah, you probably see that at a uh, GitHub, I guess. Um, lots of like similar type things, perhaps. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you deal with a lot of the, the good and bad and in between of bounties, so. Yeah. This is an interesting, so, I was looking at this cartography tool, by the way, it's super interesting. It's pretty cool, yeah. check it out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I did. Uh, so, Clint, I did want to ask because, uh, you know, we, we didn't quite get through your, your whole background and everything, but I know you're currently at, I, I think we're allowed to talk about NCC Group, right? Yeah, That's sure. what you're, okay. So you're, you're <laughs> a consultant at NCC Group, but it sounds like your title isn't necessarily consultant anymore. Um, it's more R&D. So uh, can you talk to kind of what your role has been like because I, I know you were doing secure code review in, in the past and you know that's how we met obviously um but what have you done there kind of what your role is now what your yeah what your job is 
Yeah, so um, just uh, to make sure everyone's aware, um, so NCC Group is a um, like international security consulting firm. Uh, we do pretty much anything related to security. Um, so our bread and butter is doing like web app pen tests or uh, external or internal network pen tests, um, looking at mobile apps. Uh, and then we do like this super long tail of, you know, like crypto reviews, hardware reviews, um, you know, looking at devices before they're public, um, uh, like cryptocurrency stuff, um, like low-level embedded stuff, um, like attacking AI or ML systems, like like pretty much like anything we do it. Uh, red team physical pen testing, um, but I was doing more um, like web app security and um, like network security. That was sort of the main things I worked on, um, and uh, I I still am doing uh, a fair amount of like hands-on keyboard security testing. Okay. Um, but because of some of the research I've been doing and talks I've been giving, I also do a little bit more um, sort of like strategic work with companies where they're like, oh, hey, you know, where does it make sense for us to focus on in terms of, you know, we have like this many security people and this much money. How do we scale our security efforts? Um, what makes sense to invest in? Like, should we do more static analysis? Should we stop doing that and like build some libraries or basically how do we apportion resources such that we are getting sustainable systematic wins over time? Um, uh, so that's that's really what I found very interesting. So I still do some pen testing, uh, but I also help um, uh, advise programs in terms of like where should you go over the next you know six months, one year, two year, five years, um, such that like that day uh, you've just like solved classes of problems that you just like don't have to deal with anymore. Uh -huh. um, is that general security program or like uh, we like web specific, or is it just encompassing of web and mobile? Um, I would say like general SDLC stuff. Um, okay. I yeah, I tend to know more about the AppSec side, but there's also obviously like a network and infrastructure component to it as well. Are you finding because we've I feel like we've talked about this the last few episodes or guests have talked about this. Do you feel that from the AppSec side, as you help out with the SDLC, that you do enter the more of the infrastructure space with uh, like cloud and infrastructure as code? Yeah, they're definitely less separate than they used to be, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I think infrastructure as code is definitely a huge win from a security point of view in terms of like reproducibility, um, being able to like, you know, burn things to the ground and spin it up again. Um, so you don't have a lot of one-off changes and fixes everywhere. Um, uh, yeah, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, well now, you know, maybe it is config files you're reviewing, but you still need to have an understanding of like cloud platforms in order to make like uh, sane recommendations. Yeah. Um, so is, it, is there some sort of methodology or anything that you use in those, in that kind of advisement, right? Like I, we had Brian Glass on last week and he was talking about OWASP SAM and, you know, OpenSAM and vSAM. Uh, are you based on some of that or is there something else that you've kind of come up with over your career? Yeah, so we, um, at NCC have like our own sort of custom thing. And I have a little bit of my own custom interpretation as well. But recently, we've uh, been a pretty big fan of OpenSAM, actually. Um, uh, we think that it, um, like the, the I think uh, OpenSAM v2 or something is like just um, maturing and going to be uh, official or whatever soon. Um, so yeah. yeah, we like that. Um, yeah, so partly, um, 
existing standards. And then partly, like one thing I, I like to do is just um, basically look at everything you're doing as a AppSec program in like, okay, uh, you're doing, you're using these tools. These are the various security controls you have and when they're applied. Um, and then sort of combine that with what uh, vulnerability classes have you had over the past, um, say six months, one year, two years, either in like one specific set of applications or across the board. And then just try to figure out like, why are those things happening? And you know, are we using our existing tools not optimally, or should we be using different tools or building our own things that, uh, again, try to like attack sort of the things we're actually experiencing in practice? Um, yeah, you might have a tool that's like good at seven things, but the actual three things that matter to you, like it's not good at, so like it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I always find kind of that custom approach is definitely, definitely what moves the need needle. For a security program, right? You know, every time that we've tried to just implement, you know, Fortify Red as a, a source code analysis scanner, right? uh, the first couple of passes with that have always been, all right, we bet we found a bunch of stuff that we don't really care about, right? As an organization, and now we need to go and actually tune it to these are the four things. Let me know if any of those things happen because that actually affects the security of our application and our our posture as opposed to you know, those, you know, yeah. I mean, if you've dealt with static analysis tools, you know, yeah. this, the, the stuff that comes back from there is, they're my favorite, you know, kind of, you know, whipping, I don't know, whipping boy, I don't know, whatever you want to say, right? Punching, like, bag. punching bag, right, on the podcast. Even though I, like, I, I really appreciate, like, how difficult the problem is, it's still, yeah, um, I, uh, I've done a, a number of projects specifically with like check marks, fortify tools like that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, you're totally right. Um, it's not the free win that everyone thinks or wants it to be. Yeah, um, like it, it never is. I've never seen it be like, oh, I just like added the SAS tool and like, like you know, uh, send the troops home. You know, job well done. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, but customizing it takes a fair amount of work. Um, it can provide value, but yeah, it, like depends on the tech stack and the development processes and like which tool and. Um... Well, that, I mean that, that that's an interesting point, and I know this came out a couple weeks ago. The new Flan tool from uh, Cloudflare. Cloudflare. Right? Yeah, and that's like I know it blew up on you know infosec Twitter because oh it's just Nmap and da 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 da. But like, this is a good point. Like I looked at it from the perspective of, all right, like if you read the blog post from Cloudflare, it was, hey, we're spending a whole ton of money on vulnerability scanners, right? And th this speaks exactly to what you're talking about. And they're like, we don't get that value at, back out of it. You know, at the very least, like we get the same value out of using Nmap, managing it with these scripts, like this tool that they've released and actually like, tuning down to what they're interested in because they have a specific set of threats that they're trying to mitigate. And I mean, this is the same thing that we talk about all the time in the, like in the code review course, right? Like what are the top priorities for this code base? What are the, what are the risks that are associated with our organization, our application? That's what we want to go after. Cause if we knock off the top five there, then, you know, the rest of them, yeah, we can get to it eventually, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect the application. It doesn't affect our code base. And so like, yeah, so I'm just saying that it, it speaks to what you're what you're saying as well. Like they've tried to implement a tool that specifically goes after the risks that they're associated with 
and they, they took a lot of crap for it. Um, but I still, I, I still think the approach is valid. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. Um, and and I think that what they've, um, what they've done is actually uh, pretty insightful in that. Um, so the thing is, like, it doesn't matter how fancy or complex the tool is, right? It, like, it matters like how useful it is to you. So, like, and ultimately, a lot of it's uh, about ROI. So, yeah, basically, what you're saying, I, I totally agree. Like, you could, let's say, you're spending, you know, like a hundred grand a year for some uh, network vulnerability scanner, uh, but with, uh, say, Flan, you get like eighty percent of that coverage for free. Right. And and it's also not just sort of like vulnerability coverage. It's also what is the time involved? So let's say you have this nice automated setup for Flan. You can deploy it everywhere. It aggregates results and you can slice and dice them in like, you know, uh, quick scripts um, super easily. Um, but then uh, let's see, this commercial tool, uh, someone has to run it manually because it doesn't have an API. Uh, the results uh, are like poorly formatted, so it takes you forever to like uh, mess with them. Uh, and basically, like not only is it more expensive, it's also more AppSec engineer time, which is also money. And there's also an opportunity cost there in terms of um, you know they the people running that tool are not doing other things that could be more important. So I think that. One thing I actually uh, advise clients a lot is like, is there an easy sub problem you could tackle that just takes much less work and you can do more precisely and effectively than trying to like boil the whole ocean? Yeah. Um, so that was like a very long-winded way to say like I agree with you. <laughs> no, I, I mean that, no, that's, that's a good way to think about it. Think about it. Um, um, I think we're getting a little, bit, a of little bit of echo. Yeah. Quite. Oh, from me? I think. I think so. Okay. Uh, Busting out headphones. Yeah, you're fine. No, I, I but I agree. Um, I, I think it's an interesting way to think about it, right? You know, hey, if you can solve 80% of the problems with, you know, with a tool that's free or easier to use and actually gives your engineers somewhere else to go, then you're probably better off than a 100% tool that is twice the cost and you know three times the effort or whatever whatever else it is. Um, I, I know in information security, especially like you know on Twitter and other places, that everyone wants the you know the full blown solution, um, and that's just not realistic, right? Like you know, it, we only have two weeks to to review. Two million lines of code, right? That that that's that's the realistic you know approach that we're taking on things, and so we've got to we've got to make a best effort somewhere. So those tools, that's where it becomes useful. So a, along those lines, right? I know you've spent a lot of time in the DevSecOps space lately. Um, what is it like from a tooling perspective? What is it that you recommend? I mean, I know you you're you're talking about custom tooling. You're talking about custom scripts. Obviously, there's going to be some code involved there, but are there are there kind of core pieces that you look at as, hey, this is extremely useful from a you know DevSecOps perspective? Yeah. So uh, I know that's a broad that question. I... So, but <laughs> wherever yeah, you want to go sure. with it. Um, yeah. So uh, one thing that I've noticed um, pretty consistently at a number of companies, um, which I think is super interesting and actually flies in the face of what I think. The security industry has focused on for like ever 
uh, is that preventing classes of bugs is much easier than finding bugs. Um, so there's been a huge amount of like you know vendors and tooling and all sorts of things um, you know like fuzzing, static analysis, uh, dynamic analysis. Like there's been so much work in finding bugs, but I think that what I've seen at companies who've like really done an effective job at solving classes of bugs, um, it's all about making like secure wrapper libraries, having them be very easy to use, getting them widely adopted, and um, uh, as Netflix likes to say, basically building like a smooth paved road for developers such that they, you know, if you just use the nice um, ecosystem and developer productivity tools that you've built for them, they just never think about security, right? Like output encoding is happening by default. Um, all the services have like MTLS between them. Um, authorization and authentication are like mostly handled. Um, you just have to like specify one or two config files and then it just like does the right thing. Um, that is really, I think, it's not the sexy answer, but I think it's like the practical answer that actually works um, based on what I've seen at like a bunch of companies. That makes, yeah, that, and uh, that makes sense, right? So, so, the, so you're saying there's not necessarily a tool, it's just a, an approach to DevSecOps that uh, actually eliminates the classes of vulnerabilities as opposed to, hey, I went out and bought you know, rapid seven or whatever. And that, that solved all the problems for me. Yeah. I think the, the companies who've had like real long-term sustainable wins, I think have focused on eliminating classes of issues rather than individual bugs. And most tools that find bugs are inherently sort of like whack-a-mole-y. Yeah. Right? Um, it's like, yeah, you can maybe find more bugs and maybe you even find them effectively, but, um, you know, like uh, I, I put this um, uh, meme from, I think, like the social network where, um, uh, you know, it's Justin Timberlake saying, like, you know, what's cooler than like a million dollars, like a billion users or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I, I changed that to like, you know, what's cooler than finding a bunch of bugs, you know, like eliminating classes of bugs. Um, I yeah, agree so with I, that wholeheartedly. I just want to add to that. Like that was. Um, yeah. Because actually, when we were talking to um, Secure Code Warrior, which we will have their CTO uh, on here, I guess, in the next, I think, within the next month or a few weeks. <laughs> Anyways, so he's going to be on. But yeah, when I was talking to them, you know, we were like, well, we need this custom content. And they're kind of like, why? And we were like, well, to solve, like, like you said, classes of vulnerabilities, we built our own... Uh, parts of the application that you use and we've overwritten, you know, rails methods to, to do things securely. And like for us, we can't always just give you your standard, well, this is how you fix it type solution when ours, again, to completely eliminate a class of bugs, for instance, XSS in Markdown, there's a whole pipeline we built. We've implemented CSP. Like there's definitely... Um, and then like with CSERF to eliminate CSERF, but also not on purpose, but it also, I wouldn't say it eliminated IDOR completely, but our CSERF is based off of the HTTP path. So like your token, if you were to like change, um, some sort of, uh, you know, value, like in, in the URL, the CSERF token wouldn't be valid anymore. Uh, which has hmm. been interesting because, yeah, hmm. because like, let's say you want to go and exploit something and it's like a post request that requires or a put or whatever requires that token, then like the IDOR is 
it doesn't work because your C-Surf token doesn't match up with the, the HTTP, HTTP path. HTTP path. Man, I can't speak. Uh, but anyways, like the point is, is that there's been a lot of work to um, just like eliminate classes of bugs. And that has been long term the most effective uh, way for us to, to go about it. So there's definitely other stuff that's going to pop up. And like authorization is one of those things where it's like that's I feel like that's a super hard to just solve class of bug because it can manifest yeah. so many different ways. But yeah, I completely agree. Like that's an effective way to, to run an app stack program or yeah focus on fixing things yeah that's uh, that's super interesting um <laughs> yeah so uh shamelessly i would love to ask you uh more about yeah what sort of um bugs have you guys squashed uh like classes that is and how did you do it um so i think tying the request path to the current c surf token that's pretty cool um and i i think you interviewed um uh another person um from github like a a number of uh, podcasts ago, and I think oh, they talked about probably. writing some like, yeah, probably um, Greg so, Osa, my boss. I uh, think maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, do you do you mind like spilling some beans? Uh, you don't have to if you're not allowed, uh, but just like yeah, what are like a handful of either libraries you wrote or maybe uh, policies or practices you changed that um, have been super effective in like squashing classes of bugs. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't say, and to be clear, I know, I know you mean GitHub in general, not just me, because it's definitely not uh, me that yeah. solved this stuff. Um, GitHub. So our, like, for instance, our product security team, you know, one thing people struggle with is crypto. So they built a, mm -hmm. an easy out of the box solution for pretty much any crypto need that you might have. Um, now, well, okay, so I should say basic use, basic as in like, okay, if you if you get into something, and this is true with any solution, if you get into something super, super specific and down in the weeds and like you need something ultra edge casey, well, okay, yeah, it's not going to fit. But for the most part, for 99% of uses, it's an easy way to just get going with, uh, you know, not including creds in your source code or doing some sort of uh, HMAC, you know, based comparison or whatever the whatever use case you might have which is another thing like for webhook uh or sorry service to service calls uh, i was just thinking of webhook as one of those avenues but like service to service calls having a standardized library to uh do internal uh, service to service calls in an authenticated manner and keep the infrastructure um sane which is another thing when it comes to like so we've used kubernetes um, and Puppet and a few other things. And this is like more SecOps type land, but they've done uh, quite a bit to, to make it such that it's very hard to introduce uh, SSRF and it actually mean that you reach a bunch of different places within the uh, application, which is another area that we talk a lot about is SSRF prevention. There's another class, which is like, and I think we had segment, we had segment, we had a developer from segment on maybe a year ago or so, uh, or definitely within the last year who talked about their solution, which was at a low level um, networking level, like preventing SSRF mm -hmm. uh, through, and, and specifically DNS rebinding with SSRF. Um, and we, we're no different. We obviously like have a, uh, solution to to not for like dns rebinding necessarily but ssrf uh, from a networking standpoint which kind of plays into what i talked about with sec ops 
So I guess like if I had to zoom out, I'd say like, you know, dealing with crypto, preventing SSRF at like a network level, um, CSERF, uh, doing service to service auth call or like authenticated service to service calls, um, both authorized and authentication, auth C, auth N. And uh, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, XSS, um, which even if XSS is introduced somehow, like like I said, with CSP and also with sub, like um, do, different, not only different subdomains, but different domains entirely from GitHub.com. Like when you go to upload a file, you'll notice that goes to GitHub usercontent.com. So yeah, doing yeah. sort of like sandboxing. And like the other like biggest thing that we do is we do not allow third-party JavaScript in GitHub.com. We just don't. Oh. And then from that point, if you want, like we've had before where someone's like, oh, we want to have this widget. Well, you're going to iframe, we're going to sandbox and we're going to do, we're going to have like controls there so that it's not actually on our domain and it's not actually out of our control. So yeah, it's a whole class of things that we're slowly trying to break down and like build for. So. And I think that, nice. I, I mean, it, it goes to what you're talking about, Clint, right? Like they, they've identified, and I know talking to Neil and others on you know, Ken's team over there, that that seems to be their approach is, and, and this is what you were saying about successful application security programs, but the approach has been, what is it that we're concerned about, right? Okay, number one, let's, let's talk about cross-site scripting and how much of that comes in. Okay, are there other approaches that we can take besides just your regular, okay, we're just doing encoding where there may be problems with that. What if, what if we just implement CSP, right? That like okay, that that takes care of most of it because that takes takes care of that huge threat, and then we we do have to worry about where input is and where we're storing things. But at the very least, we've kind of taken away the whole you're pulling things from a different source and loading mage card up or whatever in. Like we've seen multiple of those happen over the last week, right? Wow. With um, and uh, like yeah, Seth so, was sending me mage cart links last night. <laughs> yeah, I was. He's like, "Hey, man, look at this." I'm like, "Check oh, this out." Cool. Yeah, yeah, somebody got owned. <laughs> but, but, but it's that whole like kind of risk prioritization that we have to do across mm -hmm. the board. And I think that's where you know DevSecOps comes into play is knowing what it is that you are concerned about or the organization is concerned about. That doesn't necessarily line up with what's happening at Black Hat and DefCon, right? It it really doesn't. Oftentimes, it doesn't at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's like yeah, we could like prevent against these like crazy nation state O days, or I don't know, we could like update our servers because we've got like an old version of something known vulnerable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, um, I yeah. do have one question before we get off, Seth. Okay. About about um clint's work with the uh because clint's doing the review board for like absent cali for cactus con for b-sides for uh rsa so like or sorry not for rsa for um oh god i know this i forget DevSecCon. Ah. yes sorry that's the yeah. one which i should know because we're going to DevSecCon uh here in a couple oh, weeks nice. but yeah, yeah 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 it's gonna be cool um or is it DevSecOps? I don't remember what it is. Anyways, the point is, is uh, you've days, done a... Maybe. Yeah. De oh, that's what it is. I'm sorry. I was wrong. DevSecOps days, yeah. Um, no, so what I was going to ask, though, is like, we we want to, for people that maybe are like on the fence with submitting, you know, papers and like, they're like, oh, I want to submit to speak, 
but I don't necessarily know like what are the good qualities of a submission. Uh, I, I did want to just real quickly have you look, maybe give a few pointers um, on like writing a successful uh, submission. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and I've uh, been aggregating some links about other people who I think have said good things in this space, which I'll send you um, so you can share with people. Um, awesome. Yeah, uh, I'll give you like a couple of things I've noticed um, based on reading like hundreds of submissions across probably four or five different conferences. Um, I think one thing is um, before you submit, like look at the conference and like look at the description for the CFP, like go to maybe last year and like look at some of the accepted talks and try to get an idea of what sort of conference it is and what sort of things they care about. Um, because it, it varies by conference, right? So, you know, Black Hat's looking for like super cool, cutting edge emphasis on like offensive security where um, like OWASP type conferences, if you're like, here's an awesome, you know, iMessage O'Day I found, they're going to be like, cool, like, I don't care. Um, yeah. So, so uh, and, and for example, like we've had a, <laughs> a number of submissions to DevSecCon that are, um, that are like not about DevSecOps, uh, so I'm like, I don't know why you're like, I don't know, writing about like video game programming and submitting to, um, DevSecCon. Like, I don't know why you're doing this. Um, <laughs> uh, a number of people also don't necessarily describe in detail what they're planning to talk about. Um, so as a person, like, I guess something to keep in mind is like when you're submitting, um, like giving someone a slot in the conference, um, you know, you want to make sure that people who show up to who show up to the conference get uh, value from their time. So you want to make sure that the talks are useful and valuable and have like actionable takeaways. Um, so there's been a number of times where a submission like sounds good, but based on the contents in the submission, it's unclear if they can sort of back up what they're claiming. It's like, yeah, this is kind of a cool idea, but like. It could also be bad. So like taking the time to not just in the abstract, but in the outline, um, usually there's like an outline or extended description section, um, just providing like details in as much specificity as possible, um, what you plan to cover and why it's important, you know, linking to other uh, related work and just sort of making it clear that you've done your due diligence and you are experienced and have the background to give a talk at whatever you're proposing. Um, you'd be surprised how few people do that. So the people who do um, really stand out. Um, so yeah, and, and there's like a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, I would say like understand what the conference is looking for and provide sufficient detail such that um, they'll know that like, oh, this person like will give a good talk. Because um, if you think about it, like why would you spend say tens uh, or like a hundred hours building like a really good tool or doing some cool research and then spend like 20 minutes on the submission, right? Because like the, the, the conference organizers don't know how much time you've spent on it, right? So uh, I would say don't um, uh, unfairly like not give enough time to the CFP submission, you know, like make, give yourself as much opportunity to succeed uh, as possible by putting in at least like an hour or two. Um, I, I sometimes spend a couple of hours per CFP submission um, when I'm submitting. Um, so you don't have 
have to do it that long, but just like don't spend 200 hours working on something and then like 10 minutes writing the CFP because um, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, and, and also like don't, some people are like, oh, I am not sure if this is good enough. I don't know if people will like it. I would say let the conference organizers turn you down rather than you. Um, like just submit anyway. Uh, I've had some talks that I thought were like mediocre uh, get accepted and some that I thought were really good get rejected. Um, so it, there's a lot of factors outside of your control that you have no insight into. So I don't know. That's a that's a bunch of words. No, no, no. It, it definitely yeah, good. It's, it's definitely helpful. Um, yeah. And like the best. I mean, I have friends that are really good speakers, really popular speakers. You know, like if 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 the person, um, yeah, like they're 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 if if you know who this per you know these people are, like they have better. I feel like they have better chances just because like. If you, because as a as a somebody re- reading papers, you you sometimes know who the person is that whose stuff that you're reading, and other times it's a blind deal, so you have no idea. Yeah. But um, in the case where they know this person, like they they probably will get accepted, and they'll still send me a, a an invite to do suggested editing and be like, hey, I'd like feedback on my abstract. Like they still yeah. go through that process every time they submit a talk of going to their peers and being like, Hey, what do you think of this? And getting feedback and, and taking it in. So if like, it's your, especially if it's like your first time or you're, you know, under 10, I'd say under 10, like it's always a good idea to do it, but especially like get feedback from, from people on your, on what you're submitting before it's submitted. But no, I think that, that, that feed, that, uh, that information you provide is really helpful because you're, you're the way you're explaining it, Clint is putting, you're like basically saying, put yourself in my shoes and think yeah. about what like, yeah. And don't shoot yourself down. Don't like, yeah. I see people do that too. You're right. Like they like, Oh, I don't know if I'm, if it's good enough. Well, like, you don't, you, and, and just cause you got rejected doesn't mean it's not good enough. Just maybe it's not right for that conference. So keep that in mind too. Just keep trying. Yeah. With regards to shooting yourself down, uh, there were a couple of people from my office last year who were like, oh, I don't know, this is okay. Like, I don't know if I should submit it. So um, I really pushed them to uh, submit to uh, like all the biggest conferences and uh, like they wouldn't have submitted at all, but they ended up, there were like two different or maybe three different projects that um, gave a couple of talks each at like B-Sides Las Vegas and DEF CON. So they didn't think it was worth submitting at all. And then they were speaking at like top Vegas conferences. So there you go. uh, Yeah, just believe in yourself. Yep. Yeah, it's it's worth the risk, right? Yeah, you know, so, <laughs> for sure. Yes, for sure. We're good. So, Clint, I, I feel like we could keep going for hours if we wanted to, but Probably. we have you know we are just over an hour that we've been talking. So, um, uh, as far as like we always like to ask guests where they're going to be next or how people can interact with them. So, obviously, TLDRSec, right? We we push that, but are you going to be at any upcoming conferences where people could meet you and talk to you? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to be uh, giving a talk at AppSec Cali uh, towards the end of January in uh, 2020. Uh, I'm also going to be uh, giving some talks at uh, B-Sides SF in RSA. Um, I think that's like February. Um, yeah, at Clint Gibbler on Twitter. Uh, I'm always happy to chat with people. Um, yeah, uh, TLDRSec is uh, like bit.ly slash TLDRSEC. Um, yeah, or just like shoot me an email. Um, yeah, uh, I'm always happy to chat with people. Cool. Okay, good. Um, well, we appreciate the time. We appreciate you, you know, 
coming on and chatting with us. Uh, yeah, thanks and, for having me. It's been super fun. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. You know, after you know, maybe sure. d dive into some other topics as well. So um, appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Ken, any anything else last minute that we need to cover? Before we nope. Just don't hop right off, uh, Clint. But thanks to listeners. Thanks to you, Clint. And uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll be back next week. So thanks, everybody. Yeah, and I can t give me one second. I probably can tell you who's next week. Um, oh, actually, next week we don't have anyone scheduled, so that should be. So we'll probably just, just do Christmas a gossip episode. talk. Yeah, it's yes. our Christmas episode. There we usually go. turn ones that don't have guests into just pure straight up gossip. So we'll probably do like a this year in review and infosec drama or something funny. Um, okay. Yeah, that'd be good times. Sweet. All right. I'm Thanks, everybody. Kidding, mostly kidding. Kind of. All right. Sounds good. Later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Later. <laughs>